What's good, Rocky Peak? How we doing? Merry Christmas. It's the day after, so that greeting still works. Hey, it's good to be with you once again, whether you're joining us here in the worship center, out on the patio, or joining us online. Special welcome to you if you're joining us for the very first time. Whether you're local in one of our local communities or you're from out of town, special welcome to you, especially for those of you that are here because you thought somebody was taking you to brunch and you ended up here (laughs) instead. We are glad you're here. If you and I have not had a chance to meet yet, my name is Drew. I'm one of the pastors here at Rocky Peak, and I'm going to be leading our time of teaching. But before I jump in, there's a couple things I want to highlight myself at the top. The first thing is inside your program, you're going to notice a little card. In two weekends, we're going to be kicking off a brand new series called Supernatural. And we're really excited about that, especially because for those of you that are a long time at Rocky Peak, that's a word we often use, but it's a word that for a lot of people, our understanding is just scratching the surface. What we see and what we're going to explore throughout this series is that the teachings of Jesus, the teachings and the example of the early church in the New Testament, they say that when a man or woman comes to give their life to Jesus, he does a deeply profound change that completely transforms everything about us. We don't become slightly better people. We are supernaturally changed from the inside out. And that carries some very significant implications. And that's what the series is gonna be about as we unpack and explore that together. And so those cards are there as a reminder for you and they also serve as a tool to be able to invite somebody in your life to come and join us as we explore this together. Second thing I wanna highlight is I just want to say a brief thank you. Coming together like on the 26th, the day after Christmas, is awesome and challenging at the same time. And so I just want to briefly express my appreciation to everyone that has volunteered this morning here at Rocky Peak in whatever capacity. Definitely over at RPK, First Impressions, parking lot, security, our first response. All of you, thank you for coming and just allowing this to continue to happen this morning. And the third thing I want to highlight as we go into our time of teaching is it's December 26th and the reality is you made it. (laughs) And the holidays are incredibly hectic, are they not? They're incredibly stressful, they bring a lot of different energy, but for a lot of us, they bring a lot of different emotional highs and emotional lows. And there's many of us that this holiday season has led to some very joyous experiences. And there's many of us that for whatever reason, this holiday season has led to sorrow, has led to pain, has led to uncomfortable feelings we'd rather not feel. And if that's you on that end, I just wanna encourage you that the Lord has not forgotten you that the Lord is with you, that the Lord is present, that what we celebrate at Christmas is we celebrate that the Lord entered into our darkness. He entered into our pain. He entered into our suffering to bring what only he can, peace, that he is with you and he's got you. And so with that encouragement, I wanna go ahead and pray us into our time of teaching. As Kelly said, if you haven't already, if you grab this green and white message note sheet, I'm gonna pray and we're gonna go ahead and get started. Jesus, as we move away from the day of Christmas itself, first and foremost, I pray from my heart that I, that we would not move away from what we celebrated. God with us in our world, in our brokenness, 
in our joys and in our success and our relationships and our lack of relationships and our highest of highs and our lowest of lows and our most energetic and our most exhausted and everything in between, God with us which is a promise that lasts each and every day on this side of heaven and lasts well into eternity, forever and ever. We as your people can say, God with us. And so Jesus, as we open up your word, which is living and active, the entirety of your word is God breathed to remind us that God is with us. Jesus, as I often pray the beautiful words of John the Baptist as the communicator this week in Jesus, may I become less and fall to the wayside. I'm here because I need your teaching as much as anyone else. May I become less and may you, King Jesus, the God who is with us, become much, much more. And it is in your name, King Jesus, that we all said, amen. So Rocky Peak, this weekend, we're gonna be continuing this larger series we've been in for quite some time now called Science. And if you're joining us for the very first time, what the series has been, it's been an in-depth study in the life and teachings of Jesus as seen through the eyes of one of his closest followers, one of his closest friends, a man that we now call the Apostle John. And so specifically, we're gonna be start to conclude this second sub-series we've been in, in John's Gospel, called Signs the Path Forward. And this entire sub-series has taken place on the very last night of Jesus's life. Jesus is addressing his closest followers right before he's going to face his judgment, his eventual execution, and he's speaking into a time of crisis. The cause of this crisis has been the fact that Jesus has completely shattered their paradigms of what they expected out of him, of what they expected out of the future, of what they expected of what's to come. They are facing devastation, and what we're highlighting in this series is that it's into that devastation that Jesus Jesus speaks hope and courage as he prepares them for what is going to come ahead. And so on that note, what we're going to begin this weekend that's going to continue to next season is we're going to be wrapping up this sub-series by, by, by focusing on chapter 16 of John's gospel. And again, as Jesus has been preparing, what we're going to see in chapter, chapter 16 is that it's his final words of preparation because he's going to begin to let us know that it's time to move forward. It's time to move forward into the immediate, but not just into the immediate circumstances. It's time to move forward into the new era that the resurrection of Jesus is going to establish. And if we go back a couple of weeks when Michael was teaching out of John chapter 14, we saw that Jesus prepared us that a key mark of this brand new era is the coming of the Holy Spirit. There in the front of your note sheet, you're gonna see a key verse from that teaching when Jesus said, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. And Jesus again talked about the advocate, the spirit of truth at the end of John 15. And now in our time, he's gonna come back to not only speak again of the spirit, but he's going to unpack a key role that the spirit is going to play in this new era because of Jesus' resurrection. So if you're following along your note sheet, if you open it up, you got a section titled, For Your Own Good. And I'm gonna get into why that title is there in a little bit. If you got your Bibles, open them up. Got your apps, turn them on. We're gonna be going to John chapter 16 in our New Testament. And Kelly did kind of steal my thunder a little bit. 
But if you're new to Rocky Peak, I'm all about a messy Bible. And so get your pens ready, get the highlight function on your apps ready, because we're gonna mark things up this morning. John chapter 16, starting at verse one. Jesus says, all this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do no such things because they, they will do such things, excuse me, because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. Now let's pause right there. If you've been with us in this series, you remember that this is a recap of where Michael left off about two weekends ago. Jesus is speaking truth about what comes ahead. He's speaking that there will be times of hardship. There will be times of suffering. There will be times of loss. And what's important is he's not only speaking to them, but he's speaking to us. This is a truth we know full well. But the beautiful reminder in Jesus's words that it's in the midst of trial. It's in the midst of hardship. It's in the midst of suffering that Jesus will establish his victory, that Jesus will establish his kingdom. The kingdom of God is not reserved just when things are working out. And he's going to continue to unpack that as we start our specific time together in verse five. But now I am going to him who sent me. And again, it's this word this teaching, excuse me, that has caused this grief and crisis for the disciples that Jesus would be departing. But now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you ask, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief. Would you underline or highlight that? Filled with grief because I have said these things. Now let's stop and unpack that a bit because Jesus is speaking to something bigger than just their words or their questions. Because the truth is, if we go back a couple of chapters when Jesus had said the great, the, the new commandment for my community is that you would love one another. If you remember, Peter did ask, wait, 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 where are you going? So Jesus is not speaking to the fact that they haven't verbally asked. What Jesus is calling out is that they have not asked with the intention to actually understand. Jesus is calling out to the fact that their hearts have not wanted to hear the truth, have not wanted to accept, and he calls out that this is happening because the fact that it doesn't make sense, their paradigm is changing, is leading them confusion and grief. And again, let's pause Rocky Peak. We can relate to this, can't we? When Jesus goes off script, when Jesus doesn't follow your plan, when Jesus doesn't make sense to you, when his leading is the opposite of your timetable, when his leading is the opposite of how you would do things, how you would have done things, it becomes hard to see past that, can it? And we see that throughout John's gospel, that Jesus does not minimize the hardship. He does not minimize the difficulty, but he continually through John's gospel calls us that we often as human beings, our vision is limited and we get stuck with what's right in front of us. And so yet again, Jesus is saying, take a step back and see, yes, there are significant hardships in front of you, but there is a God that is much, much bigger. But do you notice something very interesting? 
Jesus is ready to move forward for his purposes. And do you notice that he's not waiting for them to get it? Jesus is not gonna wait for his forward movement to make complete sense to us. Jesus is not gonna wait until we go, yeah, on board, I'm good. I saw the script revisions and I get it. Instead, he's calling us to trust, not in what's to come, but to trust in him, to trust in his character, to trust in who he has revealed himself to be. And so that theme is gonna be unpacked further, starting in verse seven. But very truly, I tell you, those of you who've been around, do you remember that phrase? Amen, amen, a key declaration. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good. Would you underline and highlight that? It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, underline, highlight, put a box around that title, the advocate, the spirit, will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And so you don't need to raise your hand or anything, but I wanna ask just an honest question. When you read the phrase, for your own good, did it kind of squirm you a little bit? Did it kind of lead you to some flashbacks of when you were a teenager or a young adult last week? How do you emotionally respond when someone in your life has said, hey, I am doing this thing that you are not excited about, that you don't like for your own good? Parents in this room, it is one of the most sobering and scary experiences of your life when you utter that phrase, isn't it? the phrase that you swore you would never tell your kids, for your own good. And why do we have a complicated relationship with that phrase? Because the reason someone is saying that to us is because we disagree. We have a complicated relationship because we would say, no, it's not for my good. You know what would be good? My plan, my will, my script. What makes sense to me is, for, is what would be my own good, not what I can't see, not the mystery, not the path that is not what I want to do. And so again, we see that maturity is found not in understanding, but in trust. Because what is about to happen what they don't yet know is that Jesus' departure is gonna lead to his resurrection. It's gonna lead to his coronation. It's gonna lead to him ascending to take his rightful place at the right hand of God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. What they don't yet realize is that the departure leading to the resurrection is gonna mean that sin has been defeated. It's going to mean that the era of us being separated from God the Father has ended. It's gonna mean that now because of the grace and love of Jesus, we are what the Apostle Paul calls us in 1 Corinthians, the temple of God, where there was once separation Separation. There is now the, we are now the place where God literally dwells. We see that this is for our good. This is a bigger good than we could have ever possibly imagined, but they don't know that yet. And so they're being called to trust. And Jesus again speaks of the advocate because as he says, this is for your good because you're not simply going into a new day, you're going into a new reality. 
And this is tying the big picture story of scripture together that Jesus was not the first to speak of the coming spirit, but we see this even back in the Old Testament. And when we see the spirits being spoken of, it is always the mark of a brand new age, the age of God's kingdom. There in your note sheet, you're gonna see from Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my loss. And you see right below when Michael taught on this a few weekends ago, he said that the spirit is the mark of a new era. And so as he tells us that the spirit will lead us into this new era, again, Jesus is gonna to begin to unpack a key role of the spirit in our life and in our world. And so as we continue, verse eight, when he, the spirit, comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Would you underline or highlight that? He will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. And one thing that is truly beautiful that each time Jesus describes the coming spirit, he describes a very big and a very, he gives us a very big and a very full picture of the spirit. And there's many of us that despite our good intentions, we often have too low of a view of the Holy Spirit. In some cases, I've heard him referred to as the forgotten member of the Trinity. But in other cases, we might think that we have a wonderful view of the Holy Spirit in which we see his work through the emotions, in which we see his work through joy, in which we see his work through worship and that's a beautiful aspect of the Holy Spirit but if that's the only view of the Holy Spirit again to the words of Jesus it is much too low so Jesus now tells us that the spirit to come has entered into the battlefield and the spirit has come to fight against sin, against darkness, against the hold of the enemy. As we're gonna see further on in our passage, the spirit has come to continue the work of Jesus. And what is absolutely beautiful about that is Jesus came to fight, but Jesus came to fight in a radically different way than our world fights. Our world knows how to fight through destruction, through sin, through shame, through tearing people down, through dismissing the image of God in people. And our world gives us a temptation to fight the same way. Jesus came and he fought with life. Jesus came and he fought with resurrection. Jesus came and he fought with restoration, even to the worst of sinners. And now the advocate has entered the battle to do the same. And as he's come to fight for life, he's going to do so by calling out that which robbed us of our life in our first place, that which still robs us of our life, which is sin itself. And so as we see the role of the spirit is to be a prosecutor. The role of the spirit in the Greek of this, in the original language, it's a little soft in English. In the original language, it almost sounds judicial that it says that the spirit has come to expose, the spirit has come to convict, the spirit has come to bring to life, and it does so in three key areas. When it says sin, 
It's not focusing so much on our actions because that's the overflow. Sin begins in our heart, in the core of our being. Sin is the rejection of Jesus as king. It is the rejection of his authority. And there are times, I'm guilty of this as well as anybody else, that as Christ followers, we kind of, fought, we kind of hide in these false bunkers. And we sometimes go, well, I don't reject that Jesus is king. Yes, Jesus is king. I acknowledge that. But we reject him in specific areas of our lives. We, I, can often reject Jesus in our anger. We can go online and in anger live out the opposite of what Jesus has told us to do, to view our enemies, to view the world around us. That is rejection and sin. We can live our lives in a state of fear, which is the complete opposite of the God who repeatedly said, do not be afraid. And that is still sin. The Spirit has come to call on us out. It's not so much a total rejection. At times it is. But for many of us is that we have key areas in our life in which we have chosen to reject the authority of Jesus. And the Spirit has come to call that out. The Spirit has come to call out false righteousness. Righteousness is living in right relationship with God the Father. In fact, the beautiful thing is that God's vision for us, even though we're imperfect, is to live in righteousness. And his vision is that he's given us the standard of Jesus to live in that righteousness, not the standard of perfection, but the fact that Jesus modeled that righteousness is listening and following God the Father. Righteousness is not often, is not the trap that we often, often fall into in which we take the commanding role in our life and God becomes a consultant. Righteousness is when we rightfully so flip that and we acknowledge you are God, I am not, and I am living to be dependent on you. Jesus said in the Beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. To be poor in spirit is to be utterly dependent on God's leadership. And the third area is Judgment. For lack of a better term, Jesus in the next day or so is going to lose a court case, but he is not the one who is judged. Jesus is going to rise from the grave and that is going to be proof that sin, the enemy, darkness, hell itself has been judged and has been defeated. And as long as we live on this side of heaven as imperfect people, there will always be, as Michael's put it so well many times, a tug to the dark side, so to speak, a tug to sin, a temptation where the enemy tries to convince us, hey, Jesus' way, that's not gonna lead you to life. This way will, in this area, and Jesus has said the Spirit has come to remind us that way will always lead to destruction, and it has been judged by King Jesus. And so we see the Spirit has come to call out sin. But again, please hear me on this, family. Whenever we see throughout scripture, the spirit, Jesus calling out our sin, it is always to lead us to life. 
It is always to lead us to repentance. It is always to lead us to more of his glory. The spirit has not been given so that you live in nothing but shame and guilt, but the spirit has been given actually to release you from shame and guilt, to empower you with life. And so you see, once again, Jesus takes a concept, a word, if you will, that brings such uncomfortable emotions, conviction, and he shows us that in his kingdom, that leads to life. And so he continues. Verse 12, I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear. Would you underline or highlight that? More than you can bear but when he comes, the spirit of truth, but when he, excuse me, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. It's easy to get judgmental towards the disciples and to go, why didn't you guys get it? And the reality is because the answer is easy because we don't get it. We have limitations our focus, our capacity. And Jesus is telling us, hey, the spirit has come because clarity takes time. But the beautiful promise of the Holy Spirit is that Holy Spirit has got the time. Jesus is patient and he will walk and guide us as we need it. And as we continue, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. Verse 14, he will glorify me because it is from me. Would you start to underline that through the end of that verse? It is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. And a critical aspect of John's gospel has been Jesus talking about this unique partnership he has with God the Father. If you've been with us, you've experienced that where Jesus has often said, I don't act on my own, but I do the will of him who sent me. I do the will of the Father. And so now we're seeing again this partnership with the other member of the Trinity. He says that the Spirit is not gonna act on its own, but the Spirit is rooted in who Jesus is. The spirit is called the spirit of truth. Again, because Jesus himself is truth. We remember the declaration Jesus gave us a couple of chapters earlier that he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. What that means is Jesus' truth is not simply what he spoke, but his truth is who he is. And his truth is what leads us to life. And so to say that the spirit will come to lead us into all truth means that the spirit will come to make Jesus more real in each and every one of our lives. That there will be times and season in which we don't get it. There will be times and season in which we fight vehemently against it. And it is only through the Holy Spirit that we'll open our eyes, open our hearts and give us those moments that many of you have experienced where we go, Oh, oh, but again, one thing that's key, and this is kind of like a small sidebar here, 
is the spirit is rooted in Jesus, meaning that the spirit will not lead us to see, to understand, to follow anything that contradicts who Jesus is and what Jesus has said. And so Christ followers, we need to be a people who are vigilant. And that's why for me, we need to be a people that know our word. Because we have too many distorted Jesuses out there and often in the name of Christ. And when you hold those Jesus up to the Jesus compared in scripture, they often can be radically different. And so again, the spirit is not gonna go off the rails. The spirit is continually gonna lead us to the Jesus of the word of God has spoken and revealed. And so ultimately, as we leave this passage, Jesus himself is truth. And the Spirit will lead each and every one of us throughout our lives to experience the implications of that in every area of our lives. And so that's our passage. And again, next weekend, we're gonna come back to finish out this chapter. But what, what I wanna do with the brief time we have left is I wanna unpack this role of the Holy Spirit a little bit because the Holy Spirit has come to convict and when we hear that the Holy Spirit has come to call out sin, has call out darkness, there is a good and a beauty in that as we think about the world we're living in and the direction the world is going. In fact, we can, in the church, read that and go, yeah, I can't wait for some people to hear this. I can't wait for some people to experience that. And that is good and there is well, there is a good intention behind that often primarily the way the Holy Spirit will work through conviction is the church, the people of God, but not in the way we often think we, we often think he's going to do. The way the Holy Spirit is gonna work to this to a world that does not yet know God is to be living models of this, is that it begins with us first, that we are a people who are learning regularly to seek, experience, and apply the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that we are a people that are modeling that that conviction leads to life, that we are a people that are going out to a world that does not know him, even to the darkest and most broken of places, and live out what Paul lived out and said, man, I was the worst of all sinners, but look at what God did. And he can do that for you too. And so as we talk about the role of Holy Spirit as prosecutor, family, it starts with us. But there's a new paradigm that leads to beauty in that. And that's what I want to spend some time unpacking. So there in your note sheet, we got a section titled The Role of the Holy Spirit. And that first fill-in is this. The Spirit exposes our sin and guilt. The Spirit exposes our sin and guilt, and I mean guilt not in an emotional way, but in a judicial way. And I know at this point, some of you are going, this was not the cheery Christmas weekend message I was kind of banking on. I thought you were talking about Rudolph and Frosty and stuff like that. But the truth is, this is an appropriate Christmas message because it's all about the gift of life. The Spirit has come to lead all people to life, life that can only be found in the risen King. And so we as Christ followers, we are called to stand against wrong. 
We are called to stand up in the midst of darkness and to point to the light that is kingdom and the kingdom of God. We are called to continue the work of Jesus. And again, we are empowered to do that as living, breathing models of the truth that the Spirit's conviction leads to life in Jesus the Christ. For those of you that have been around Rocky Peak that know me as a teacher, I often use the phrase, a beautiful repentance. Because let's be honest, repentance does not feel good. The concept of repentance does not feel good. We live in a culture that has radically created the narrative that if you are truly strong, you will never apologize. But what we see through the work of the Holy Spirit's conviction is that we are being led to a beautiful repentance so that we can experience more of the gift of life that Jesus has for each and every one of us. Now, that's the big picture vision of it. But part of being family, part of being a church is we need to talk about the truth. And the truth is this is hard. This is hard, isn't it? Let me ask you something. Again, don't raise your hand or anything, but emotionally, how do you feel and how do you respond when someone calls you out for being wrong? Do you enjoy that? No. How do you feel emotionally when someone calls you out for being wrong, whether it's a loved one, whether it's a stranger, whether it's the Holy Spirit or God himself? How do you feel when someone calls you out, especially when you don't agree. It hurts, doesn't it? Even in small ways, it never feels good, does it? It hurts, and you know why it hurts? Because it hurts our pride. It hurts the fact that we sit there and go, I don't wanna believe that I do wrong. I don't wanna believe that I made a mistake. I don't wanna believe that I'm capable of it. And so again, while the outpouring might be different, I talked about how do we emotionally respond? And I think for many of us, something that we share in common, we often respond whether outwardly or inwardly stuffing it down with a mix of denial and deflection. Often when we feel called out by someone in our lives, we can often quickly respond, no, I don't. That's not me. Do you notice we become lawyers in our own life? Here's the presentation, here's the PowerPoint. This is why you're wrong, I'm not the wrong. Often we respond by leaving the room. Often we respond by deflecting. Okay, but what about that person? But what about this? But what about that? We somehow try to find solace in the fact that there's gotta be someone worse than me in this because then it makes me feel better. Well, look at them, look at that, look at what they're doing. I'm okay in comparison. It hurts. It doesn't feel good, does it? And often there's a mix of emotions and when we feel that mix, we have to make a very conscious decision of how we move forward. Are we gonna move forward with darkness or are we gonna move forward with light? Let me give you an example of what I mean. You know, many of you know that I'm a very proud father of three kids. And as all parents do, there's times when you need to discipline your kids. And recently I was disciplining one of my kids, or rather I should say I was attempting to discipline one of my kids. And the reason I use the word attempting is because I messed up. I lost my patience. 
what needed to be said and done needed to be said and done, but I was doing it in the wrong way. And whether parenting or anything else, can you relate with that? Of trying to do the right thing in the absolute wrong way? And so instead of being restorative, what was coming out was shameful and guilt-ridden. And so Megan, my wife, she rightfully stepped in And I don't remember her exact words, but I remember she used the word perfect and she said, you're shaming our kid for not being perfect. And she was right. Oh, but man, it hurts. And I felt this mix of emotions. I felt this sorrow and I felt this sadness of, man, how... Why do I keep messing up? How am I letting this happen? I can't believe I just let my family down. I can't believe I just let my wife down. And yet at the same time, I felt this anger and this need to want to fight and this need to be defensive and go, no, that's not me. No, you're wrong right now. No, did you see what happened though? The circumstances justified this. The circumstances are good. This is what needs to be done for the greater good. This is what we need to go. And again, in that moment, time slows down because this is all taking place over a couple seconds. And I'm sitting there realizing, wow, I can either respond with death or I can respond with life right now. And I think one of the hardest things about this, why we need to wrestle with the fact that often we want to distort reality reality, and convince ourselves that we're not capable of certain sins and convince ourselves that we're not capable of dropping the ball in certain areas and we need an outside source empowered by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit itself to go, that's not true because it leads us to a bigger view of God and his grace and his justice and his love and his mercy. There in your note sheet, John the Apostle, decades after he writes his gospel, he writes other letters that we have in our New Testament. And in 1 John, he writes that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Do you catch that progression? If we embrace the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will lead us to more life. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Say what you will about the Bible, but it is wonderfully blunt. And so I get it, Rocky Peak, and I'm with you. There's times when we can talk about this, probably right now, in which we're kind of squirming a little bit. But understand the beauty of God, the beauty of the spirit that is given to us is this is not, the sin, the guilt is not where God's word ends. It is not where this message ends. It is not where the kingdom ends. It is the beginning that leads us to something greater. And that's our second fill in there in your note sheet. The spirit's conviction leads to a deeper transformation. The Spirit's conviction leads, again, our Rocky Peak motto, listen and follow to a deeper transformation. And I want to introduce to you a metaphor of how to see the Holy Spirit that I find really helpful. And I know we've already been talking about the role of the Holy Spirit as prosecutor 
But as I introduce this visual, I think again, it helps us understand the purpose of the Spirit's conviction. And that's that the Holy Spirit is the most skilled heart surgeon we will ever encounter. Because what does a skilled heart surgeon do? They open you up, which hurts, but they clear the blockage so that life can now flow uninhibited in you and through you. And so as we talk about the fact that the Spirit has come to continue the work of Jesus, the work of Jesus is life. And so this is part of this new paradigm that yes, in those moments, the conviction of the Spirit will hurt, but that hurt will, be, will lead us to new life, to new joy. This new paradigm Jesus is preparing all of us for is that the conviction of the Holy Spirit is an act of grace. It is intended so that life and life from Jesus will flow uninhibited in every area. And so when we experience the conviction, when the Holy Spirit convicts us in how we view or how we practice things like our sex life, when we engage in things outside of God's covenant of marriage or engage in pornography or anything that distorts that beautiful gift God has given, the Holy Spirit will bring a conviction to remove that blockage so that life now uninhibited flows into that area. When the Holy Spirit brings a conviction, as he's done in my life many times, when we've allowed fear to rule our life and rule our decisions, in which we are living the opposite of the commands that over and over of scripture, do not be afraid. The surgeon, the spirit will open us up to remove the blockage so that life flows over and restores and redeems that fear. When we struggle at times, when we realize that, hey, what God wants for tomorrow is not what I want. What God wants for tomorrow is not the path that I want. Again, the Spirit's conviction is the masterful surgeon opening us up to remove the blockage so that life can flow uninhibited and we could go on and on and on. But what the Spirit is doing by changing our paradigm is he's leading us into a new reality, into that which we dreaded, that which we had a low view, that which we avoided, which is repentance, which is conviction, is now now something we embrace as it leads us to life, as it strengthens our relationships, as it strengthens the beauty of God's work in us. And so I want to illustrate this in a key way. You know, if you know me well, you know that there are very few things in this world that I dislike more than being cold. I absolutely detest being cold. Is there anybody else like that with you? And here's the problem. I am cold all the time. I'm not even being funny right now. I'm cold right now as we go into it. My, uh, my good friend Allison changed my life this Christmas season. She gave me a heater for my office and I never want to leave it. And so as I talk about being cold, you can understand, I've got a very complicated relationship with snow, don't I? I don't understand the appeal of snow. 
it is cold, it is miserable. Snow activities are just lying in the stuff. I don't get it. One of the greatest blessings the Lord has given me is that he allowed me to marry a woman that dislikes cold as much, if not more, than me. And then we had kids. And our kids throughout their life are like, can we go see snow? No. Can we go see snow? No. Can we go see snow? What? And they're like, why? Because it's terrible. <laughs> and so last year, last February, they ganged up on us and finally we caved. And in my head, in my plan, okay, my wife's brother has a cabin in Big Bear. We're going to go spend one weekend and they're going to see how miserable this is and they're never going to want to do this. In fact, and again, this is no joke. My wife and I kept repeating, half joking, half mostly serious. Hey, I want you to know how much mom and dad love you because we hate this. We hate every second of it. And so will you. We're driving up going, you know what you need to do in snow? You need to put on change. You need to dig out your car. You get cold. We were there for under an hour and this happened. Richard, could you throw that picture up there? <laughs> and my heart absolutely sank. As I'm sitting there going, oh no, she's happy. <sighs> Rocky Pete, do I like Cold? No. Are we going again this year? Yeah. <laughs> and if I'm honest with you, I'm actually looking forward to it. Not because my view of snow, you don't clap that, not because <laughs> my view of snow has changed, but seriously, I experienced something I did not want to do that was the better thing for my relationships. Conviction leads to a deeper transformation. Transformation is the presence of Jesus. So the conviction of the Holy Spirit removes any barriers to us delighting in Jesus the King. And not just in a big picture, 30,000 foot view, but in every single area of our lives. God's view for us is that there is not a single area that has not been transformed by his life. And his avenue for that is often the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I like how there in your note sheet, N.T. Wright puts it, that when you're suddenly put to the test and you don't have time to think about how you're coming across, your real nature will come out. That's why when character needs to go, that's why character needs to go all the way through. Whatever fills you will spill out. And so the vision that God has for each and every one of us is that when we are tempted, when we are tested, when we are cut, that because of the work of the Holy Spirit in us, that what will spill out will be life in all areas. And so with that, on the back of your notes, I just want to ask you one question to be reflecting on. And I don't simply mean right now, but as I often encourage, somewhere unrushed after our time together, would you go before the Lord and reflect on this? And your question is this, are you actively seeking the Spirit's truth? Are you actively seeking the Spirit's truth? And again, often, 
we may not be in a posture of repentance because we don't think we have anything to repent of. And God is inviting us to experience more life by inviting the Spirit to examine our hearts, to examine our minds, to examine our emotions, to examine our, 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 our actions, to examine our checkbooks, to examine our search history, to examine our social media profiles, to examine our relationships, to examine that we could go on and on and on for anywhere that is impeding the flow of life. And there I put an excerpt from the Lord's Prayer, the model Jesus gave us. And again, I want to take a quick step back and understand that I think often we can be so familiar with the Lord's Prayer that we lose, that we lose sight of how profound it is. The Lord's Prayer is all about declaring and living in the life that only Jesus can bring. Because if you look at what, we're, what we, the Lord's Prayer, what's modeled in it, is it's modeled a declaration of who God is, that he is God, he reigns, he is worthy, and who we now are as a result of of that and how we continue to listen and follow so we experience life. And one of those there in your note sheet, note sheet is forgive us of our debts. In other words, and forgive us of our sins as we have also forgiven our debtors, those that have sinned against us. And so we see in the model of Jesus that as Christ followers, by taking steps for this model of repentance to be part of our regular rhythm with the Lord, what we are doing is we are taking steps to experience, to live in, to be empowered by more of the life that Jesus brings. We are living examples that the Holy Spirit has come to bring life and to bring it to the full. And so Rocky Peak, my question as we leave our time, I'm gonna invite the worship team to come on out is are you actively seeking that to be part of your regular rhythms? And if not, this is not a guilt statement, this is a beautiful turning point. Are you ready for the invitation of the Holy Spirit to begin to lead you there? To begin to lead, to experience life and to the full, as Jesus the Christ put it, amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we celebrate you, we celebrate your life. We celebrate the fact that even some things that may seem unappealing as conviction, you use it for the purpose of life. Your kingdom is about life. Your teaching is about life. Your presence is about life. You are not only resurrect, you did not only resurrect yourself, but you are continually resurrecting our hearts. You remove the blockage through the work of your spirit. You say, I don't want life to be in, to, to have any type of, of, of blockage towards its flow. Jesus, in all areas, in the way we deal with certain emotions, in the way we view our, our plans, our priorities, in our sorrows and in our suffering, Jesus, in our friendships, in our romantic relationship, in our marriages, in our parenting, how we view our jobs or lack thereof, whatever it is, our hopes and dreams, Jesus, your vision for us is to approach that, to experience it, to live in that through life. And so Jesus, this new paradigm, conviction is grace. Conviction is mercy, conviction is life. As long as we listen and follow to where it's leading. And so there's some of us that are here this weekend and we know exactly where the Holy Spirit is convicting us. 
There's some of us that truthfully, whether intentionally or even unintentionally, in this moment, we may be blind to it. But all of us, Jesus, as your family, as your church, we invite you in. Holy Spirit, come and reveal truth. Holy Spirit, come and reveal your truth. Holy Spirit, come and reveal the truth and life of Jesus in those places. And we thank you and we celebrate your life as we go into this final song. It's in your name, King Jesus, we all say, amen. Let's